Grab your Bibles one last time, 2014. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The series is called Frontlines of Faith. We're learning about what we're supposed to be defending and fighting for inside God's church. Brought to you by the Apostle Paul, writing to Pastor Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Today, the book talks about the household of faith, the family of God. Hey, what was your family like growing up? Did you have a good family, bad family, weird family? What was your, did you have traditions? Did you have rules? Did you break the rules? Did you, what was it like in your home growing up? Uh, I found, have you seen these awkward family photos going around the internet? Check this out. Here's some weird families. I don't know how you feel about your family, but you're glad you're not a part of that family photo. Am I right? Here's another one. Watch out. You could be raised by those two. World's best dad. Yikes. How about this next one? Place yourself in that picture. Dress like a Christmas gift. That could be you. I, I don't know. I don't know what your family was like growing up, but you had one. And um, no family is perfect, right? So uh, you had a family, and there were certain things that made that family distinct. But let me ask you this question. What was your church family like growing up? Did you have, did you have a church family? Could you... Could you, like, retell to me some, you know, really fond memories about your church family growing up and the love that they shared or the, uh, the devotion to missions or some of the adventures that that church went on? Like, what was your spiritual family like? Maybe you didn't have one. Uh, maybe growing up you were like an orphan. You had no spiritual Maybe you had a bad one. Uh, who knows? Uh, but today we're talking about the family of God. Um, and here's the truth. The truth is God wants you as a believer, to have a church family. He wants you to be bringing strength and love to that church family. And if you go on without a church family in this world, uh, you're missing out on virtually everything God has for you in the New Testament. As a child of God, understand that there's no such thing as an only child in God's family. You can't look up to your father and ask him to treat you as if you were the only one who he ever loved and has to love, you're part of a family. And therefore, Christians, we're supposed to embrace that reality. We're supposed to know what it means to have a church family, and we're supposed to be bringing uh, strength and joy and peace into that family as we come into it. Family of Faith is the title of the message. Today we're going to learn what it means to be a part of the family of God and how we can do that biblically. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Our Father in heaven... Too often we call you our Father as if we are only children. But you are our Father. You are the Father of our spiritual relatives. Help us to learn what it means today, Father, to relate to you and to relate to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in love. Show us as a church what what you want us to become as a family. And help us, Lord, to move away from this individualistic, self-centered view of spirituality to embrace that it is a community project. Pray that you would strengthen your church family today, Lord, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, are you there? 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we're going to go out of order in the book of 1 Timothy for the next couple weeks because there's some topics that lend themselves to early in the year messages where we're getting our spiritual disciplines back online And um, so we skipped a little bit about deacons, but don't worry, we'll come back to that. Last week I preached on verse 16, which is the truth of Christ. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Christ, was manifested in the Spirit, or manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. I didn't preach on what led up to that. So we're rewinding the tape a little bit, and in verse 14 it says, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. When it says that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, I'm not going to give you a list of 20 different things you've got to do to behave in God's household today because that's what the whole book is about. First Timothy, I mean, listen to the previous sermons, come for the next ones. That's going to be all about how you do this. What I want to do today is just, just paint this picture of what the church is supposed to be like. 
And it's supposed to be like a family. So write this down. Number one, behave like a child of God. Behave like a child of God. We, We must behave like God is our Father, like fellow believers are our relatives, if we're going to truly become the followers of Christ God wants us to become. Uh, We are part of a family, and therefore we have to behave as children of God. What is the church like? What is the church supposed to feel like, be like, act like, sound like? One of the ways the New Testament helps us get a handle on that is by comparing the church to real-life things. For example, the church is, is said to be like a body, the body of Christ. And guess what? You're a body part, and so am I. But Christ is the head of the body. The New Testament also says the church is like a bride. We're like a bride becoming more and more beautiful every year so that our groom, Christ, can return for us. We're like a bride. The church is also like branches. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Uh, And Jesus is the vine. You're also a flock. You're a sheep, I'm a sheep. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Do you see how in each metaphor we see something unique about the church? In all of them, you understand that we're united and Christ is somehow supreme. He's the head of the body. He's the groom of the bride. He's the, the vine of the branches. He's, he's the cornerstone of the building. And today we're focusing in on how the church is like, like a family. God is the father. Jesus is supreme because he's the firstborn son. Highest rank in the family. He's also the only biological child God has. He is, in essence, the same as the Father. You and I are adopted into the family by faith, all right? And it's because the firstborn was willing to do the will of the Father that we gained entrance into the family, making Christ superior to all of us. The church is like a family, like your spiritual family. Hey, growing up, did your family have family rules, family traditions, family customs? Mine did. Here's a picture of my family from when I was a kid. Check it out. There's there's baby Ryan right on the right there. You see that? Little Ryan. Check out that haircut. Isn't that sweet? It's the old bowl cut. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's... I was blessed with great parents. They were devoted. My dad, you know, coached my little league team. Mom stayed home to tame us because we were wild. Um, I think my dad, uh, if I had to, like, describe my family for you, my dad was one of a kind. If you know him, you know that's true, but... He really allowed us as a family to have fun. Uh, He would chase all the neighborhood kids around with pitchers of water in the summer. You know, we'd all be running for our lives. He'd be dousing us with with water. And uh, my dad always loved to have the latest technology in the house. So I'll never forget when he brought home a VCR. Do you know what a VHS cassette tape is, children? Back in the day, you actually had to walk to a store and go in. Uh, not outside the store like today, and, and you had to pick up this huge plastic cassette tape called a VHS. And then you had to rent it. Uh, then you had to go home, put it in the VHS player, and if it wasn't rewound, you had to wait 45 minutes for this thing to go back to the beginning of the movie. And then when you were done, you had to wait for it to rewind again before you returned it so you didn't get hit with a fine. They even sold rewinders. Did you have a rewinder that rewound the tape fast? to save you all that time on your way out, right? (laughs) My dad always had to have the latest technology. I remember when he brought home an original Nintendo Entertainment System, which was an upgrade from our Atari. Uh, How cool was that? You know, the first Nintendo, they made those games so you could never beat them. Like, you would throw the controller across the room because it was so tough. But, hey, my dad had to have it. So that's kind of, when it comes to my mom, my mom, you know, my dad was out helping us have fun, and mom made us civil. She made sure we cleaned up after ourselves. We had to dress nicely for parties and church. And the rules were we could never embarrass her in public. It's a rule. Uh, another rule is we, we couldn't scare her. No scaring mom. We broke that one all the time. Uh, and another rule is no dunking her in the pool. So my mom made the rules. My dad helped us break the rules. And all in all, it was a great family upbringing experience. <laughs> uh, but hey, for you, I don't know what... What was your family like when you were growing up? You had a family. It was like something. It was unique, definitely not perfect, uh, but God placed you there. You also had a church family. Um, Spiritually, you had some sort of, maybe you didn't, but if you did, you could tell me what it was like. Maybe it was good. Maybe it was bad. Maybe it was weird. Maybe it was hurtful. Maybe it was helpful. I don't know. Here's the thing. 
God wants everyone to find their home in a church family. It's his will. It's his way. Uh, Being a child of God doesn't just mean I'm like an only child, and I have this one-on-one interaction with my father, and that's how I grow spiritually, period. That is not the way that God intends for you to grow. Too often, Christians act like they're marbles in a bag. Not united to one another, you open the bag, the church doors on Sunday, and the marbles scatter. We're more like a bundle of grapes, right? We're all connected to the same vine. We're all connected to the same life-giving source, uh, right? You open the bag, and they all kind of stay there. Um, That's what we're supposed to be like. It's really a huge deal that you understand God's design for your spiritual growth. When I say you have a spiritual family, if you are in Christ, that is an unalterable reality. The moment you're saved, you become part of the body of Christ, a member of the household of God. Therefore, you share a special spiritual unity with all other Christians on the face of the earth. Your family, you're a relative, you have the same father, you'll be together forever. You don't make that happen, God makes that happen. You don't create spiritual unity. It's really huge that you understand this. You don't create spiritual unity. You don't decide the spiritual nature of your relationship to other Christians. God does. And he united you in a special way to relate as family to all other Christians. Once you understand that that's an inalterable reality, then you have a choice. Because you can't break that reality, you can never successfully break off your attachment to a fellow Christian. You can either grieve that reality and bring aches and pains into the body of Christ, right? Or you can enjoy the reality of your unity with other Christians. You can can improve and enhance the strength of the family of God, right? But understand that God makes the spiritual unity. You either enjoy it, strengthen it, or you grieve it and weaken it. Those are your options. It's always sad when I see Christians online bashing the church for the whole world to hear. Even if you had a tough relationship with a church family growing up, or certain Christians are making your life tough, hey, listen, this is, this is God's family you're talking about. This is your family you're talking about. And And understand that you can't crack apart that unity even if you've been hurt. It's it's there. It's unchangeable. Um, And and the more you try and weaken it, the worse things are going to get. I have a lot of empathy for people who've been hurt by a church or had a bad church family experience. But listen, it's God's family. You're in the family. You should bring strength and joy and love to that family. You shouldn't try and tear that family apart, right? I mean, you, you come to me and you say some things about my wife, your thoughts, here's what I really think about her, and I'm going to say some things back to you. I'm not just going to sit there and take it and let you talk about her that way. Am I right? And if you say some things about God's family, he's not just going to look down and let that happen. It's, he has feelings about what you're thinking about his family, right? So understand that this family idea of you being part of the household of God is unchangeable. And it does no good for you or anyone else to be bringing aches and pains and complaints and moans about the family. The best thing you can do, regardless of your spiritual upbringing, is to bring strength and love and unity and joy into the household of God with you. That's what you can do. Behave like a child of God. Because you already are united to other Christians, um, you should enjoy that unity and enhance it. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't really need a church you know, I go to church on TV, or, or I can be a Christian without a church. And you know what I say to them? I say, you're missing out, because God wants you to have a spiritual family. You're missing out on some of the greatest blessings God has for you. In fact, I'll say this, you need a church family, you desperately need a church family to biblically act like a child of God. If you step out from a church family, and isolate yourself as an only child, you are not, in the biblical sense, acting like a child of God. God can't manifest his presence to you as he wants when you're away from your family. God can't use you in as as powerful of a way as he has designed you to be used 
when you've stepped away from a church family. You are putting yourself at a crippling handicap, a giant spiritual deficit. You will not become the follower of Christ that God wants you to become when you're apart from a church family. And those that you reach with the truth of Christ, if they respond to you, if they start looking to you for some sort of discipleship and you don't get them into a church, you're going to make unbiblical disciples. You're going to be a strange follower and you're going to make strange followers because you're away from the family. God's design is for you to function inside of a church family. That's the way you behave like a child of God. You need a strong, healthy church family to live out the truth. Do you know that 1 Corinthians 13, you know the love chapter found in the Bible? It's read at weddings all the time, right? It has nothing to do with with marriage. It has nothing to do with romantic love. The love chapter in 1 Corinthians where it talks about love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy or boast, right? You know that. The most excellent way. It's about church, that church in Corinth was not loving each other, and that was written to teach church folk how to relate to one another. So therefore, God wants you to learn to love your spiritual family, and that is spiritual growth. Too often, people are on the knowledge train. Well, I just need more spiritual knowledge, and that equals spiritual growth. I'm going to do this next Bible study and memorize these next verses and go to this next Bible class, and therefore, I'll be more spiritually mature than ever. Yeah, but if you're not growing in love, you're not growing spiritually. In fact, knowledge puffs up. Really, you're growing in pride, which means you're not growing spiritually if you're only after knowledge. You have to grow in in building loving, deep relationships with those around you. Sometimes people see that as a spiritual side dish. Yeah, I'll get all the knowledge, I'll listen to all the sermons, I'll read all the Bible studies, and then on the side, I'll do a few loving things for a few people I like. Those that I can stand. You don't get it at all. It's actually supposed to be flipped around. Love is supposed to be the most excellent way, right? And the knowledge you get helps you to love others and love God. This life truly is about simply loving God and loving others. That's why we have to behave like children, like family in God's household. It says here um, that you may know how how one ought to behave in the household of God. God is our Father, we're His family, and we have to learn how to relate lovingly as His family. But next, it goes on to say this, the church of God, which, uh, which is the church of the living God, verse 15. Why do we have to learn how to behave in the household of God? Because it's the church of the living God. Write this down, behave like a child of God, because God is among us. Why? Because God is among us. We're called the church, church means the gathered ones, the gathered together, the assembled ones, church of the living God, meaning God dwells inside his church, among his church, um, in a very special way. Do you know that God is everywhere at the same time? Do you know that? It's called his omnipresence. But do you know that he's not everywhere at the same, in the same way? Do you know that he manifests his presence in special ways, at special times, in special places? Which is why when Solomon put up the temple in the Old Testament, God filled it with glory. And sure, God fills the whole universe, but in the Old Testament, he said, here in this tabernacle you have made will be my presence. There will be a special, special manifestation of the presence of God. Do you know that the church is one place where God displays his presence in a special way like nowhere else? God is among us. God is here. You've probably heard it said that you're a temple of God if you're a believer in Christ. Have you heard that before? But do you know in 1 Corinthians, it doesn't just say you personally are a temple of God. It says you corporately, plural, are a temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, we'll put up on the screen. It says this. Do you not know that you, plural, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. God will manifest his presence in a special way here to the church in the gathered assembly. Which means if you step out of the gathered church and refuse to meet with the gathered church, you miss out on God showing up in special ways. This truth, this this is huge. This truth that God 
relates differently to different people in different places and different groups in different ways will change the way you view church and spiritual growth, okay? It fundamentally impacts how we do church and why we do it the way we do it. If you want God to show up to to manifest his presence in a unique, special way, how would you make that happen? Well, write this down first. Worship like Christ is here. If he's the living God, if he's the true God, if he's, the, if he's alive, we should worship like he's really here. All right, now there are many churches that have incredible worship in a different way than we do. All right, so please don't hear me as like bashing all other churches that don't do it our way. I'm not saying that. But I will say this. Different churches have very different philosophies of worship. And what guides our decision-making in worship is this. We believe God can show up. And we believe it's not automatic that he will. We believe that he can manifest his presence in a special way in this room on Sunday mornings if, as a church, we invite him to be here. Do you know, do you know that God says, draw near to me, I will draw near to you? Do you know there are relational changes between you and God throughout the week? Sure, he never leaves you as a Christian, but, but he relates to you differently at different times. And you can get close to him, and you can get far from him. And as a church, we can get close to him, and we can get far away from him. Which is why in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He said that to a church. Not to a person, to a church. Imagine right now hearing, and we're looking back there like, what? Is someone out there? And it's God. Jesus painted that picture for a church that was not inviting him in. Therefore, what we believe when it comes to church is we believe that the worship experience on Sunday is the most important part. It's the biggest thing we do. And what makes us unique as a church is we lay a giant expectation on God to do things that only he can do in this room. We expect heavenly things from our God to happen in this room. We cry out to him to save souls forever, to strengthen believers for their trials, to give answers to questions that have haunted us, to bring reconciliation to broken relationships, to fill eyes with tears of joy just at the thought of the goodness of the Lord. Intangible things that we can't fabricate up here with decorations. Things beyond emotional experiences that I could somehow conjure up through my tone or my voice or my cadence. Things that only God can do. We have huge expectations that God would move here. Not every church has that. In some churches, God's almost like an oil painting to be admired. Like we're singing about the oil painting. We're looking at the beauty of the oil painting. We're pondering it, but we're not expecting it to break into life and start doing some things, right? Some churches sing about God. They don't sing to God. Um, In some churches, it's almost like worship is like reciting truth, like, like reciting the periodic table. And you could say, you know what? Those things are true, Um, But in in this church, what we try and do is we take the truths we find in the Bible and then we split atoms. We create spiritual chain reactions with the truth that we know because we know God is living and moving and willing to work when his followers cry out to him. We We expect so much from God on Sunday mornings as a church. Therefore, we expect so much from his people. When Pastor Mark is up here leading worship, he's kind of gauging how you're doing. And if it's not going well, he'll spring into action and call forth a response from you because we lay a huge, huge burden of expectation on you to respond to what God is doing in the room, right? You'll find that out about Harvest the longer you're here. Man, they don't just let me sit back and fold my arm. They actually want me to sing. Yeah. 
early on when we were a new church, we'd take anybody because we needed a congregation, right? So come on in, whatever, sit down. And then as time rolled on, we started to get picky. We, uh, I came into church one Sunday at our first building, and I walked in, and for some reason I just stopped. I stopped. It's as if God wanted me to see something. So I looked around, and I was in the back of the room, and I was like, wow, people really aren't engaged at all. And we only had one service back then, so one swing, right? One crack at it. Uh, and so I was like, maybe I should say something. Eh, maybe not. And, and then, just as I was thinking, there was this one guy who was sitting there with his arms folded, not singing. And, uh, and then he let out a yawn. And it wasn't just a yawn. He, like, threw his arms out to his side and started rocking back. During worship. And I was like, all right, Lord, don't strike him with lightning. I'll go say something. <laughs> so I got up on the stage uh, in the middle of the service, and I was like, hey, um, it's not going very well this morning yet. Our God is a consuming fire. We're to worship him with reverence and awe. And some of you are not doing that. Let's try that again. See, because we expect a lot from you as you come into the presence of a living God who's looking in and cares about what's happening and wondering if he's going to attend church this morning here. I don't know if that's theologically true. God's everywhere and he's sovereign. Yeah, and he's relational. And he said to call upon him. He said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. He knows the state of our hearts. God is among us. But God isn't everywhere in the same way. Therefore, so we have to worship like Christ is actually here. That's why we call ourselves a vertical church. Because we're always looking up, asking for God to do some things. We don't look around. We don't care how we're making people feel. We don't dance, walk on eggshells to make sure we don't hurt anybody's feeling. We're looking up. We're asking for God to come down. So worship like Christ is here because he's among us. Next, write this down. Walk near to Christ daily. Walk near to Christ daily. Uh, God will grow you from the moment you get saved to the moment you go on to glory. He's not done with you yet. Um, And too often Christians get frozen in place and they're content to stay put spiritually. Okay, God, deal. Uh, Don't change anything in 2015. All right, I won't go backwards and you don't take me forwards and I'll just stay where I'm at. And most Christians try and make that deal with God. Just leave me how I am. No trials, maybe a few extra blessings. And God doesn't make that deal because he's a good dad. He'll always move his kids forward in faith. So what that means is you have to walk near to Christ daily. There's an opportunity for you to grow in 2015 like never before. You you can have your greatest year of spiritual growth next year than you've ever had. But not if you sit down and say, don't touch anything in my life, Lord. Not if you start walling off areas of your life that you don't want him in. Worship like Christ is here. Walk near to Christ daily. If he's alive and he's walking with you, he's going to bring you places. Do you desire for that to happen? I love in Luke 24, verses 28 to 29, where Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, was walking with his disciples, and it says this. um, It says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. All right, here's a reenactment. Uh, I'm Jesus, and he's walking with these two guys, and they start walking into the village, and he's like, See ya. And then they started calling on him to stay. So go ahead and invite me to stay. Yeah, no, no, I got places to be. So then it says they strongly urged him. So all right, all right, all right, I'll stay. Why did he keep walking? He's God. If he's going to go like this, go like this. No, he did this. Because he left room for the invitation. 
Stay. No, I've got to keep going. Stay! All right. That's our God. That's your God. You invite him close, he comes close. Keep him at arm's length, he stays at arm's length. I'm talking about a quality of relationship that changes moment by moment between you and your God and between us and our God. God is living. He's not stuck in an oil painting. You're growing. You're not frozen in time. And all this creates a very vivid, dynamic, changing relationship between you and Christ. Behave like a child of God. Why? He's among us. Worship like he's here. Walk near to Christ daily. Write this down. Work for Christ regularly. Work for him regularly. How am I going to see God show up in a special way in my church? Worship him. Walk with him. Work for him. Do you want to know God has been somewhere? Do you want to know God has done something? When he uses you to accomplish his work, it's a spectacular manifestation of his presence. When God does something through you, he shows up in the lives of others. When I preached through the book of 1 Corinthians, it was, this was one of the most profound things I took away from the whole book. The primary way God manifests his presence to the world and to the church is through the spiritual gifts of his people. Meaning, you want God to show up in your life? Guess how he's going to make that happen? Look around. Somebody with a gift of encouragement or teaching or wisdom or hospitality is going to make you sense God's presence in a special way. Yeah, of course you'd love him to warp down or an angel to show up in front of you, but guess what? Rare, not the routine way he shows up in your life. More often than not, he's got somebody, a sister in Christ, who will sit across the table from you, and, and at the end of their conversation, you'll feel like, man, I needed this. Man, I feel like God just really spoke to my heart. He did, because it's family. If you're willing to work for Christ and let him use you, other people are going to know God's doing some things through you. At all ages. You know, I love that this Christmas season, our kids, our Awana kids went to a nursing home. Maybe you were there. They went to a nursing home. They sang Christmas songs for all the residents there. It was awesome. It was like spiritually electric. All these folks were wheeled in and they were sitting there and it was like the highlight of their week hearing, hearing the worship from the lips of these children. They were working for Christ. Our high school students have such an amazing commitment to evangelism. I've told you already this past year that students from Oaklawn High School, students from our youth group, brought the gospel to Oakland High School. During lunch period one week, they just opened up a room and said, hey, anybody who wants to come, we've got pizza. By choice, you can come in here. And they brought in speakers to share the gospel. Over 300 kids walked in one day, heard the gospel, and then went back to class because our high schoolers are taking initiative and they're working for Christ. It's amazing. God's opening up so many doors for us to work for him. Uh, I've told you about our partnership with Ravi Zacharias Ministries. We through the Harvest Fellowship, are entrusted with building this relationship with Ravi and his team that will then spread to the 110 churches in our fellowship. We're finding ways to be strengthened by, by Ravi's team, and it's going to help 100 churches grow. We're, we're working for Christ on that. Um, we're partnering with Christy and Brashov and his church, and we're going to send a team next summer. We're going to do a week-long kids' camp. Um, do you know, I mean, most of the children in Brashov haven't heard the gospel, the true gospel. They hear a different version of it through an orthodox, dead, lifeless church. So where are they going to hear it? Well, their parents won't come to the, a different church on Sunday morning because they view an evangelical church like a cult, okay? So have a Mormon friend invite you to their thing. That's how everyone in Brashov feels about getting invited to a, what we would call a normal church. But the parents both have to work because it's a pretty depressed uh, economy. And so over the summer, the oldest kid is watching all the kids all day long. So if you hold a kid's camp and you say 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., bring them here, all the parents are like, you're going to camp. You're going to camp. That's not our church. Get in camp. I don't care. You're going to camp. Like 100 kids could come to this thing, and that might be the first time that they hear the gospel in their lives. And we're going we're gonna to work for Christ there, and we're going to help them do that this year. Uh, you can work for Christ here. You can believe that God will use you to manifest his presence to other Christians in the church. 
There have been so many people working for Christ this year that have been a blessing in our church. I mean, I think of our worship team and our tech team and those who made the last month of services spectacular for everything from the decorations to the screens to the sound. They've got equipment back there. They don't know how it works yet. They're like, I don't know what this button does. It's all new and they're figuring it out to make all of these services spectacular for you and for me, right? I'm blessed by that. Are you blessed by that? They're doing an amazing job. It's awesome. We had brass this morning. <laughs> How cool is that? And Pastor Mark and his team have worked for Christ, gone far above and beyond the call of duty. It's been amazing because they're working for Christ. We've had guys show up and work on our building. They've brought their trades. they brought their skills, equipment. They've donated, some of them, tens of thousands of dollars in labor and materials to make the building itself look great. We had people, we, for, we realized way too late in the game that now that we own a church, we have to decorate it for Christmas. So maybe two weeks ago, you were part of our, like, totally last-minute Saturday decorating team. We're like, oh, yeah, we should put lights up. Anybody want to do that? And there were people here all day long setting lights up, making the place look like it's a church for Christmas. I was, I was blessed by that. Hey, God is among us. God is among us. Because of that, we should worship him like he's alive and here. Because of that, we should walk close to him each day. Because of that, we should work for him as if he's got things to do today during this service that he's not going to do any other time in the history of, of humanity. We should work for him. The household of God, the family of faith, what does that mean? Well, behave like a child of God because he's among us. Worship, walk, work with Christ. And then here's the third one. Hold up the truth of Christ. The first two points talked about what we, how we behave Now we're pivoting and we're discussing what we believe. Look back in the Bible at verse 15. It says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And then it says this, A pillar and buttress of the truth. Now we're talking about what we believe, the truth. We as a church are supposed to hold up the truth of Christ. There are certain things we do. There's a way we behave in God's household, and there are certain things we believe in God's household. Because we're family, because we're children of the Father, we believe certain things, and those things will never change. You know what a pillar is. Here's a picture of a pillar. The job of a pillar in a structure is to do a couple things. It holds up the roof so that it doesn't fall down and hurt people. It also elevates and and, um, puts on display the the whole building. So some of these ancient temples had like a hundred pillars around them and it hoisted the roof, you know, way up in in the air to make the whole building something worth looking at. Likewise, the church is the pillar of the truth. Meaning our church is supposed to be holding up for display or for support the truth so that it doesn't cave in and kill everyone in the room or so that it doesn't fall out of the view of the world. It's the job of the church to hold up the truth. Maybe you've seen the movie Unbroken. You've got to see it. Have you read the book yet? At the beginning of this series, I said, read the book Unbroken. It's about a guy named Louis Zamperini. He was an Olympic runner who got uh, dragged into World War II, uh, went off to the Pacific Theater as a bombardier, um, and uh, crashed got taken captive by the Japanese, um, and his story is unbelievable. The movie, they did a great job. Uh, See the movie. Even if you haven't read the book yet, see the movie. Angelina Jolie uh, and the studio did a fantastic job telling the story. All right, make that known. I mean, we've got plenty to be critical about when it comes to Hollywood, but they got this one right, and I'm really excited about that. They stopped the story short of going into the whole faith story of Louis Zamperini, but that's fine. They didn't have to go into that. One of the most interesting parts of the movie is this. After plane crashes and dogfights and shark attacks and the climax of the whole movie actually happens when in a prison camp, Louis Zamperini is ordered, after he's exhausted and malnourished and skin and bone, he's ordered to hoist this like beam, this, this wood beam over his head. And, and to hold it there. And this, the Japanese soldier who hates Louis says, if he drops it, shoot him. The whole climax of the movie is a guy holding up a piece of wood. 
If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to ruin it, but you've got to go see it. But listen, here's the idea. It's life or death in the movie. He's got to hold it up or he dies. And that picture of someone standing up underneath, holding up the weight of something, is what you're supposed to think about when you think about church. As a church, we are supposed to be holding up the truth, and, and over our dead body does it hit the ground. Amen? There are some things that we are supposed to be lifting up and displaying for the world. And if anyone comes along and tries to kick out the pillar that's holding up that truth, they'll have a conversation that they'll never forget. Okay? Most of the conversations I have with people about Christ are very gracious and very... But occasionally, occasionally, there are times where um, it's, it's not a gentle conversation. <laughs> Particularly when someone comes after a truth that I hold dear and they try and sweep it out from under me. For example, I'm preparing a sermon in Starbucks a few years ago and there were five Jehovah's Witnesses who all sat down. They were looking at me preparing a sermon and they're like, is, uh, is that uh, the Bible you're reading there? Yeah. Is that the only thing you read for truth? And I'm like, well, yeah. And they're like, would you like to talk about other forms of truth? And I'm like, yes. Yes, I would. You interrupt me when I'm trying to prepare a sermon to give to my people. Have a, It was five to one I was outnumbered. And listen, they will never forget that conversation. I slayed them like their own book. They were speechless as they were looking into their own book and they couldn't explain to me why they believe what they believe. They found my house too one day. They knocked on my door. It was like Thanksgiving. And, and Jared's like, Dad, someone's here. And, and he was holding this literature that they had already given him before I got to the door in my own home on Thanksgiving. And so I went to the door. And I was like, Lauren, take the children inside, please. <laughs> Standing outside, my feet are freezing. And they brought, you know how they bring the next guy if you talk to the first group and then, then they bring the backup? Like, you know, the relief. They had that guy there. All right? And... Um, he will never forget that conversation because he was trying to tell me Jesus wasn't God. Okay? And when he left, furious because of the things I said to him, because he tried to knock over the truth I was holding up, he will never forget that conversation. And there has to be times where someone tries to kick out the, the support of things that you hold dear, where you let them know this is a truth you will die for. You will never knock this out of my hands, ever. Okay, And I'm not talking about getting into a red-faced shouting match. I'm talking about showing them that what they're holding up can be knocked over with, like, it's gone. The thing they're committed to entrusting is a vapor compared to the thing I'm holding up. There are times when, as a truth, people, as a church, people will come in here and try and kick out a truth from under us, maybe in a small group, maybe in a larger setting, where they will actually bring in a challenge to things we hold dear. And that's when the elders are responsible to sit down with them and say, do you see this thing we're holding up? You will never pry it out of our hands. If you don't believe this, you need to go and find another church because we would die for this, okay? This is our commitment to... I'm not talking about the stupid church fights that maybe you've been a part of. Can women wear jeans? What are we supposed to do with, with movies? Or should I... I mean, hair length. I'm not talking about the stupid church fights. What color should the carpet be? How much should we spend on a copier? Waste of energy. Some people would die for those things. Bet you wish they had. (laughs) This carpet's red. I'm going to heaven. Get there fast. Somebody grant her wish. I'm not talking about holding up personal convictions. I'm talking about holding up the truth of Christ. The, tr- the church is supposed to be a pillar of truth. Um, it's also supposed to be a buttress of truth. What does that mean? Here's a picture of a buttress. Uh, a buttress supports a wall. So the pillar comes up under the roof and keeps it from caving in. And then as added support, you've got the, so the wall doesn't fall out, you've got this buttress that comes alongside. So when somebody in your life comes and pushes on something that you believe, you're supposed to hold firm and the church is supposed to be a buttress holding up that wall when when there's an opposing force trying to knock it over. And um, 
in the United States of America today, by and large, overall, the church is failing to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. There are exceptions, there are denominations, there are church groups and networks that are doing okay with this, but overall, the church is collapsing and the congregations who are sitting under that collapse of truth are dying spiritually or crawling out for their life and showing up at good churches wounded and scarred. Entire denominations are letting the truth fall down. Which truths? Well, start with the truth about Jesus. Was he the Son of God who lived the perfect life, died on the cross to atone for all sin, was thrown in the tomb, miraculously raised on the third day, ascended into heaven where he right now rules heaven, soon will rule the earth? Is that true about Jesus? In many churches, that is optional. And, and that truth has caved in, the truth about Jesus, who he was, what he did. The truth about marriage is falling over in our world. One man, one woman, united for life. That church is being toppled in our culture. It is being flipped over in our culture. And if you take a stand for that truth, you will pay. You will pay a price in our world if you stand up for that truth. But if we don't stand up for that truth, we will pay. Because God is watching. The truth about the afterlife. Is there only heaven and hell? Do you get another, do you get another chance? Some pastors, famous pastors, apparently looked at the end of their Bible and found some blank pages and decided to write another ending to the story. Oh, how convenient. Let me rewrite how the world is going to end for people. Listen, there's heaven, there's hell, they're both forever. You have this much time to decide, period. That's the truth. Some churches don't want to tell people that hell is forever, permanent. Now's your chance. They don't want to tell that to people. The truth is caving in. And spiritually, congregations are getting injured or killed because they won't tell people the truth. What about leadership? We believe 1 Timothy, the book... Uh, Titus calls upon the godliest men in the church to serve as elders and the primary preachers. We also believe women are supposed to be leading all across the church in various ministries um, and forms. Churches that get that wrong, that change how churches are supposed to be led, let the walls fall over. And it's damaged entire denominations because they have refused to call upon the men to lead in the church. The truth about salvation Jesus said, there is no other name given among men by which they must be saved. There, or the, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, the point is, he is the only way. And in our culture, it's bad enough that the world is saying, no, that's not true. But the church starts to say, well, maybe there's another way. Preachers on TV start saying, well, I can't judge their faith. Maybe God could use their way. I don't know. I only talk about my way. The truth is caving in. And it's sad. The church is supposed to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth, holding up, strongly supporting what it is that the Bible says uh, is true. Sadly, churches often play uh, Jenga with God. They say, well, let's pull this out and see what happens. Maybe you were a part of a Jenga church. Maybe, well, let's pull this conviction out and see what happens. Let's, America is playing Jenga with God right now. Let's pull this out and see if it all falls over. Oh, it's going to fall. Keep pulling. Keep pulling. It is all going to crash down if they keep playing Jenga with God. We're supposed to hold up the truth of Christ. We're supposed to strongly support the truth of Christ. And to close out, let me say this. God cares deeply and personally how we respond to this. What kind of family we become. Do you know in the Bible, God will name nations. He'll say, this nation, and then he'll give a judgment a verdict on how they related to the truth. He'll name cities. Woe to you, this city. He knows the city and the city's council, the school district and their board. He knows how the city is responding to the truth. Do you know that in the Bible, God names individual churches? You in Sardis, you in Thyatira. He knows the church, he knows the leaders, he knows the people, and he has a strong opinion about how they're doing. He also knows individuals. He can look straight into your heart and he knows exactly how you're doing in relation to the truth and he cares deeply and he will relate to you accordingly. 
So the final question is this. Are you willing, are you ready to fill this family, this church family, with godliness? Knowing he's alive, knowing he cares, knowing it matters, knowing the truth, are you ready to fill this church family with all of the love and the conviction of of the black and white issues of the faith? Are you willing to bring strength and grace to your church family? Are you going to be content to sit it out, try and be an only child spiritually? Are you going to continue to bring aches and pains into the body because of the hurt you've experienced in the past? Or is it time to become the child of God that he wants you to become? Is it time to build up the family of faith, to hold up the truth of Christ? Hey, next week is a fresh start. This week is the end of a great chapter. Let's close this year out by praying together that God would bless our church family in the year ahead. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to be called children of God. What we will be is yet unknown. How glorious it will be when the full realization of our spiritual brotherhood with our fellow believers will reach its highest expression in heaven. Show us, Lord, remind us that we are united, we are family. Forgive us for grieving that family, forgive us for bringing conflict. Forgive us, Lord, for failing to work past the hurts and for failing to reconcile with those who are our relatives. We just ask that as you look down into Harvest Palace next year, that you would grow us in love and in devotion to the truth as a family. Help us to care for one another. Help us to show the love you have for us as a father. And manifest your presence like never before. Lord, part the heavens and come down. Speak, we're listening. Lead and guide us and open up new doors for us to work for you. Bless our devotion to you. Bless our devotion to the truth. Strengthen our hands as we uphold your truth, Lord. And we ask that years and years and years from now, as we look back, we would see strong, formative years now that build up the quality of relationships that we enjoy here. Lord, empty us of all strife and conflict and bitterness and quarreling and envy and jealousy and selfishness. Drive all of those out from our hearts and and bring in kindness and hospitality and forgiveness and respect, submission and love. Oh Lord, empty us of all that would destroy your family and fill us with all that would build it up. And this we ask in Jesus' name.